This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. My guest today is Jill Marr. Jill holds a Bachelor of Music degree in flute performance and music education with a jazz minor from the University of Minnesota Duluth. She earned a Master of Music degree in flute performance at Northwestern University. Jill directs the St. Olaf Handbell Choir, the St. Olaf Chapel Ringers, and oversees the direction of the student-led Manitou Handbell Choir. She's also the principal flute in the Mankato Symphony Orchestra. As well as teaching flute at St. Olaf, she has a private flute studio in her home. Now, Jill has taken time out of her busy tour schedule to give me, and I'm delighted about this, a tutorial on playing the handbell, the complexity of which captivates me. So let's get to it. Let's talk with Jill Marr. Welcome, Jill, to Musician Talk. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. I'm so happy to have you. So uh, I would like you to take us on your musical journey from when you first started playing music or remember taking lessons or, you know, when music became a thing in your life up to kind of now. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> wow. Okay. My uh, mom was very musical. And so there was always music in the house. She was a piano player. She can hardly read music, but she plays by ear phenomenally. You know, you can wow. give her any hymn and she'll just rip it right off. <laughs> I wish that I had that good of an ear. Um, and so there was always music in the house. Um, my siblings all played instruments. Um, my sister is four years older than me and she played the flute. So I, I've heard that in the trumpet from my brother. Uh, when I got to the age where I could play an instrument, my mom said, well, you're going to play the flute because we have an extra one. Your sister just got a better flute. So, <laughs> I know. That's as and good a reason course, as any. I know. And I just, sure, because that's what mom said, you know, yeah. at that time. Um, but I really wanted to play the saxophone. So I played the flute. I learned, I loved it, you know, as soon as I started. I remember when I started, I started with another girl. We had lessons together and um, she could blow a sound right away and hold it forever. And I was like, I'm out of air. <laughs> so I felt like, oh, this must be the wrong instrument for me. But I, I'm very persistent. I kept at it and it got better. We had phenomenal uh, directors at that time, and we got half-hour lessons in school, which is with a woodwind specialist, which is unheard of now, you know. So that was an amazing program to be in. What age did you, excuse me, what age did you start playing? Sixth grade. And where was this? Um, Duluth. Duluth. Yeah, Duluth. Awesome. Um, when I got to high school, I actually wanted to quit because that band director was a little bit mean, and he intimidated me, my middle school band director. But my mom knew the other director and said, you got to just stick it with it for one more year. You know, I was really mad at her at the time. Aww. So I can't imagine what I'd be doing if I would have done that. Right. Um, but I got in high school and he was wonderful, that band director. Um, I think before my senior year, he didn't have enough saxophones in jazz band. So he said, I always like to take my best flute players and put them in and have them learn saxophone and play in jazz band. So I did that. <laughs> Perfect. I finally Perfect. got to play saxophone. I fell in love with that as well. And I played in jazz band. Um, I played in college. I played after college. I kind of put myself through college with the extra money I needed by playing gigs on saxophone a lot with the big bands that were around. Um, awesome. Yeah, That's a was- great way to make money during college. Way better than working at McDonald's or at the barista as a barista, I think. Yeah, it was really great. Um 
Yeah, and I miss that a lot. But I did find um, when I finally had kids that I I couldn't keep up two instruments to the level that I wanted to keep them up to. So mm -hmm. I I stopped playing in jazz bands and just concentrated on flute. Um, yeah, I went to um, college right in Duluth at um, UMD. Um, my siblings went there. And at that time, I didn't know any better. My band director didn't say anything different. He thought they had a great program. And so I just, I went to UMD. When I think about now and how students like try out so many different colleges and get yeah. lessons with teachers. And I think, oh, wow. And yeah. I just got lucky because it was a very good program. They had a strong jazz program. They had a great flute teacher. So <laughs> I just got lucky. And so I, I had a great undergrad there. I went to Northwestern in Chicago and got my master's degree. Wow. And then I came back to Duluth. Um, I did some teaching for a little bit because I did have an education degree as well as a performance degree. I have flute performance degree. But um, I was teaching general music and I definitely knew that was not for me. <laughs> I don't know. I just didn't I just didn't feel that was the right fit for me. Sure. I did I did elementary band um, at a private um, Catholic school and that was wonderful. loved that. Um, so I did that. When I had my first uh, child, I just, yeah, I couldn't keep it all up. I was playing in the Duluth Symphony at that time. I played in there for five years. I played principal wow. flute. And it wow. was lovely. But I just couldn't keep it all going when I <laughs> had that first kid. So that's when I just decided to go down the flute track. And, yeah, I teach private lessons on flute. And shortly after we were married, I think five years after I married Tim, we moved down here. And we, I was a little bit at loose ends because I was an on-call flute player and sax player in Duluth and would get all the gigs and I was very busy. So when we suddenly moved down here, I was a little at loose ends and um, having a new baby and she was one years old. Um, Tim came home from work one day at St. Olaf and said, did you know they have a bell choir here? And I said, no. And he goes, I think you should do it, even if it's just for a year or something, just to give yourself something to get out of the house with the kids and, you know. Yeah, great idea. Yeah. So I did <laughs> that. And um, and I also auditioned for the Mankato Symphony in there sometime um, and got in there. So, yeah, that was a lifesaver. I was only at uh, St. Olaf doing the bell choirs for, I bet, one month. And I was like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my career. These kids are amazing. Wow. It was wow. so much fun. Yeah. That's so cool. And it happens. Kismet kind of a, a kismet feeling. Yeah. It's meant to be. Because I had been doing bells at my church um, in Duluth. There, My grandmother died at one point, I think when I was in 11th grade, and they had some memorial money. So they put it towards handbells. Um Somebody else was directing. And when she left and went in the service, they said, we don't have anybody who knows how to direct. You need to do this. And I I said, no, I'm in college. I don't have time. But they said, we'll do everything. We will <laughs> We will get the people there. We will call for subs. We will pick all the music. You just need to walk in and conduct one hour a week. And, you know, I thought, okay, I can do that. But it wasn't like more than a month when I was like, oh, I think I need to be in charge of this. I need to, I wanted to pick the music. Right. You know, I, yeah, I wanted to be in charge. So I did that. Well, if you're going to direct the music, you really kind of should pick yeah. it out, right? Kind of, yeah, you got to love it. Have a connection to it. Um, 
my question was, oh, okay, so why did, why did they come to you? Did, did you already, because you've talked about the sax and the flute, but nothing about learning handbells. How, were you, how did you have, have the chops to be able to direct a handbell choir? Or did you just do it? I just, you know, my sister actually was the director before me. So they knew, you know, they just knew I was a good musician. And um, I think they were desperate probably is what it is. I think a lot of people feel ill-equipped to uh, direct handbells because they're, you know, it takes, it's a very specific technique to produce the sound. There's so many techniques that go with it. And so I think it's intimidating to a lot of people. So a lot of times churches will just be, please, somebody direct handbells. If you have music experience, please do this. I think that's getting a little better now as we're training more, more and more uh, handbell musicians. But I think back, you know, when I was doing that, in the what 80s <laughs> it was harder to find directors and people who had background in that <clears throat> and it worked out because you had that experience then up at Duluth with the church choir or church handbell choir so that when Tim came to you and said here there's this idea at St. Olaf with the handbells you had that experience yeah yeah that's wonderful so when did you start working at St. Olaf um, when was that? I think it was in 95, probably. Okay. Yeah. And you do you teach flute there, correct? I do. But I taught at Mankato. I played the Mankato Symphony, and I still do. Okay. But um, for a while, I taught flute there. But, you know, it's a fair commute, and my kids were young at the time. And so as soon as they have two flute teachers at St. Olaf, and one of them retired, and I knew that, and so... And I was already on staff, so it was a little, it wasn't yeah. as hard for them to hand over those duties to me. Yeah. So I don't know. I probably taught at Mankato for like five years, and then I started teaching flute at St. Olaf. And you could yeah. say goodbye to that commute. All right. So thank you for your, your life story, your musical journey. Um, you know, people just don't know handbells. I, I don't. And I, you know, compared to like the piano or the guitar, you know, we know how they're played and we've heard them and seen them a million times. Handbells, not so much. Um, and so I would like you to give us a little bit of a tutorial. I have a list of questions that you might hit all of them. Otherwise, I'll start asking you because they fascinate me. I, I just I don't know how they're played and played well. It, it seems very, very difficult. All right. Uh, uh, handbell 101, please. <laughs> um, yeah, I. I do think it's a difficult instrument. It's, it's very, it takes a lot of coordination. Like, like somebody who plays the organ, you know, who's like keeping their hands busy doing different things, you know? Um, and there's so many um, things to keep track of on the page. Cause there's different techniques um, that have notations for them. I think it's one of the worst instruments to sight read music on. It's just, oh, I can't imagine. yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And when you miss a note, there's no one else getting your note. Like in choir, you have other people singing your same part or in band, you have a bunch of flute players playing your part. Right. Um, so it's a, it's a little more intimidating there. And so when I'm auditioning ringers, I always look for people who can count really well. Um, <laughs> I look for people who are, who are kind of confident, you know, who are not afraid because you kind of just need to be bold and put yourself out there. You cannot yeah. hesitate. It just, you no. can't, you just cannot hesitate when you're part of a handbell choir. Uh, yeah. yeah it doesn't I work. feel like I can, I can teach them anything about technique and that kind of thing. But 
yeah, they need to have like a good innate sense of rhythm. That is a harder thing to teach. Yeah. Yeah. You feel it or you don't kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I teach, I teach handbells at my church as well. I have youth choirs there and I have, depending on what time of year, I have like four choirs going at one time of just different ages. What fascinates me so much is when you think of a melody line in, I mean, I mostly, I haven't been in orchestras, mostly rock bands. So that's my experience. Um, but you think of a melody line and the singer has it, the guitar player has it, maybe more than one instrument in the band has it, but they played the melody line, one person. <laughs> this, you have a melody line and you could, you have multiple people playing different notes in that melody. And, and when you're talking about, we're talking about the hesitation thing, you just can't because you might have one note in that melody line in that measure. And then in, on beat one, and then on the next measure on beat three, and then the other people are filling in other notes. And I just, oh, Kilda, <laughs> take me away. That seems really, really tough. <laughs> it is. I think when you hear good, really good handbell choirs, you can hear phrasing, they pay attention to that melody line more. Um, when you bringers are young, you know, you're kind of grateful that they're just getting all the notes at right. the right time. Yeah. But I was working with my top kids last night at church and I was saying things like, okay, when you're in measure 64, if you look on beat four, that A that you have, that is the beginning of the melody. And I need you to play it out. So they, you're telling the audience like, here's where the melody is you know right. you need to play it so they pick it out also they might have one note of the melody but then they might be playing the um you know accompaniment or counter melody at the same time and that needs to be a different dynamic so one <laughs> no. hand needs to be louder maybe one hand needs to be softer and then in the next measure it could be reversed okay let's listen to the song we'll talk some more about hand i have some more questions about handbells and how they're played etc but let's take a listen and i want the audience to listen for the melody line when it comes in and how it sounds like it's one person but it's three or four and so <laughs> it's so smooth and wonderfully done this is um the saint olaf handbell choir playing scottish festival dance by andrew duncan um can you tell us a little bit about this song um it just it has a little bit of a celtic flair to it <laughs> Okay. Um, a couple of times, Andrew Duncan has, there's kind of a national handbell list and he's gotten on it and said like, I wrote this piece and I really like it and I want to hear it premiered. It Will anybody premiere it for me? And, you know, that doesn't happen very often. So I always jump on that because like, I know my group can do this and he can get a good recording of it. And, you know, we don't often have enough money to um, uh, commission a composer. So for them to like, bring a brand new work in the world is kind of exciting. And I think that's what happened with this piece with Andrew. Oh, that is exciting. Thank you for sharing that. That makes it even more special. So let's take a listen to um, the handbell choir directed by my guest today, Jill Marr, uh, playing a Scottish, Scottish festival dance by Andrew Duncan.
This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. You just heard St. Olaf Handbell Choir playing Scottish Festival Dance by Andrew Duncan, directed by my guest today, Jill Marr. So now that everybody got to hear that and hear all, how the melody, it, it sounds like one person, but it's not. It's, it's uh, multiple people. So a couple more questions about, and oh, it's so beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. I, I love the sound of a handbell choir. There's, nothing really sounds like it. Um, you can't get that same sound from a synthesizer. So they ha- there's a couple different sounds. There's a thwack and there's a sound of uh, like a maybe horse clops. Um, can you tell me about kind of some of the different sounds that you get from the handbell and how it's done? With handbells, there is like if you want a short note, there is a bunch of different ways to produce that. You can use a mallet um, with the bell on the table and you hit it with a mallet. You have to hit it in a very specific spot so it sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, uh, we call it a martellotto um, or a mart, and they take the bell and they have it about one inch off the table, vertical to the table, and they just kind of set it on the table and the clapper just kind of hits the table. Wow. Um, it, wow. Used, it used to be one of my least favorite techniques because so many choirs do it not very well. Um, because we ring up here by our, you know, by our chest, to get it down to the table is quite a distance, you know? And so if you're not thinking about it and you don't prepare ahead, they will come all the way from their chest and whack it to the table. And it's very loud um, and not too musical. <laughs> and this isn't preparing for it before you play the piece. This is preparing for it, the notes right previous to that note. I mean, you have, yes. you have to have your head in the game. I mean, present right now at all times, yes. more yes. so than I think a lot of instruments. And sometimes I do warm ups with that in mind, you know, I'm like, bring it and bring it to the table and now mart it, you know, that kind of thing. You can also produce a short sound on the bells by um, when you ring, you can usually your hands are below the hand guard that's going around the bell, but you can put your thumbs on the bell and produce a short sound that way. So it's called thumb dance. And each of those, like the mallet and the mart and the thumb damp, all have a little bit different quality to them. Sometimes you prefer one over the other. Sometimes a composer will say, I definitely want this technique. Sometimes they'll just put a dot under the note, a staccato, and just say, do whatever technique you want there. And the director can decide. Yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, and, and I mean, seriously, like nobody knows any of that stuff when they're listening to a have a choir, right? <laughs> we just yes. don't. So this is great information. And um, how about the sustaining of the note? And I, I suppose that you, you have to know when to stop it because if it rings too long, the chord could change. So is that written in the music or, or is that something they just have to know how, what to do? Because a lot of it is sustained sound. Now they're pretty specific about it. It's funny, if you play really old music, they used to have a term called let vibrate until harmony changes. Um, they would put that at, a th- at the beginning of like a page. And then they, they thought that like everybody would know when the harmony changes. Well, young choirs have no idea when the harmony changes. Right. <laughs> so you ha- you know, you'd have to go through and tell them how to do that. But nowadays they'll, they just write LV, which is let vibrate. And we always damp it when the note, like if it's a half note that gets two beats, you damp it on three. Um, but if you're letting vibrate, you, you'll see an LV, let vibrate, until either another technique happens or they'll write another LV 
So often it'll be like every two bars where I'll lean for this whole section. And what it sounds like is a sustained pedal on the piano. Thank you for that. I, I'm learning a lot today, that's for sure. And how about one more question about this, and then we're going to move on. But um, soloing, can you solo? I mean, how many bells would you have to have in front of you? I mean, unless, of course, it's like a two-note a two solo, but does that happen with handbells? It actually does happen, and it's pretty um, becoming pretty common. Wow. Um, I bet. So you can do solo ringing. and. Um, Sometimes it might be like two or three octaves of bells that you're working on. It often has piano accompaniment to fill it out, you know? Right, sure. Yeah, but it's definitely different kind of skills. They damp more on the table so their hands can move quickly be- between notes. Mm-hmm. And definitely the composers who are doing it know how to solo handbell ring because you can't do it with everything. Some ringers are able to do two hand- two bells in one hand which is called foreign hand. And then, you know, you're able to uh, pick bells up and trade them off when you have that. So uh, right now on my tour, I have one ringer who I always try to do either a bell tree or a solo piece or an ensemble piece besides our full choir pieces. And one of the um, ringers came to me and said, I want to work on this during the summer because I'm all, I'm here all summer. So I got him access to the bell room at St. Olaf and, He's just been working on a solo, so he's going to do it. I gave him a bunch to work on, but he decided he wanted to do it to his own. So he picked a, um, um, as a student will do, a song from a um, video game. So <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I That's- think it's like main, main theme from Mother 3 or something. Yeah, and he is doing a solo piece. It's wonderful. It's him and violin and piano. So we need to move on. Now, okay, let's just consider this. The tutorial 101 is done. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Very much. I, I just want to touch on a little bit on the importance of music here, a music teacher. And I'm wondering what you stress as far as just kind of more of a macro musical um, education, not, not necessarily specifically micro in some techniques and, and teaching them how to play, but just macro what do you share with them um, about music and the importance of it? Oh, gosh. <laughs> and my little kids, because I teach uh, right. flute. And when they have recitals, I'm always uh, preaching to them and their parents. I do a little thing about just, you know, this. there's so many benefits to music. Um, and I was just reading something about it the other day, again, uh, coming across Facebook, because I have so many musician friends, you know. And it just had a list of 10 different things that, you know, if you're playing music throughout your life, how many things it can improve, you know, and even as you age, it keeps your brain agile, you know, but it's teaching them discipline and it's teaching them perseverance and, you know, how to keep going when things get rough, how to, how to come through for other people, because people are depending on you to get your part, you know, there's just so many great, great skills like that, that. Uh, music can impart to students, especially young students. And I, I even tell parents, like, if sometimes there are students that are taking from me will quit. They'll take till 11th grade and they'll quit or they'll take till 8th grade. And I tell the parents, like, don't, don't be too sad about this because you gave them a gift right now that is going to affect their whole life. Even if they never play anything again, they will listen to music differently because they had this experience. They will probably pass it on to their kids because they had this experience. You know, it wasn't time lost at all. 
you know. No, and and also those talents, no matter what they do, if they go back to the instrument or just in any job, perseverance, yes, you need that. Yeah. You know, uh, pushing through. Uh, I guess that's per- perseverance when it gets difficult. Uh, playing well with the with the team, you know, with your yeah. coworkers, and all. I mean, it's there's so many all these things that you learn with playing music, which I think is. Uh, you learn it faster somehow when you're in a group of musicians rather than just, you know, in a classroom because it's intense and you're more vulnerable that these, these skills seep into every part of your life for the good. Yes. And I tell parents a lot, they say like, you know, I can't get my kids to practice. And I'm like, well, you actually can. (laughs) You make them brush their teeth because you feel like that's good for them. Right. And so you have them practice because you know that that's good for them. You know that the long-term benefits are good. And most kids, when they get in the room and actually start practicing, they'll practice for longer than they thought because it's it's usually kind of fun, you know? Right. I feel like some of it has to come from the parents. Like, this is really important and you need to stick with it, especially in the first year or two to like, you know, it's much more fun once they be able to start some melodies and stuff right. like that. It's a little bit rough in the beginning you know, sometimes. Extracurricular. We, we call it extracurricular so often, right? Music. And yeah. it's, it, it's core. It should be core. You so know, let- there's that movement that's called st- STEM, right? Like yep. that covers the basic core, but now there's STEAM. So that adds the arts, arts. in there. Yeah. Good. So I think we should advocate for STEAM. That yeah. I will. Good. STEAM. <laughs> I'm going to write that down right now. Awesome. All right. We need to move on to this second song. Um, and this is Glory's Ring, uh, and it's directed by Steve Amundsen, and it's the St. Olaf Orchestra featuring the St. Olaf Handbell Choir from the Christmas Festival in 2007. So can you tell us a little bit about this song? Set it up for us. It's joyous, boy. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Amundsen had come to me and said that he wanted to incorporate bells into the Christmas Festival at St. Olaf. Um, there's no room in there. They need another concert hall. Um, <laughs> so it's like a physical thing about there's not enough sure. space here. But he asked, like, what could I write? How could I write it so they don't have to have tables so they could just stand in back of the orchestra and just walk on and walk off? Well, when you listen to this song, which we're going to play here momentarily, uh, you hear the you hear the handbells ring out absolutely above above the orchestra, and it is joyous. It absolutely is joyous. So, uh, let's take a listen to "Glory's Ring," played by the Saint Olaf Orchestra, featuring the Saint Olaf Handbell Choir from the Christmas Festival 2007. <laughs>
This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. Today, my guest is Jill Marr, director of the Handbell Choir. You just heard play Glory's Ring, along with the St. Olaf Orchestra, directed by Steve Amundsen. Yes, it is joyous, that song. And, yeah. uh, you know, of course, it makes you think of, of Christmas and, um, and all the joy around that and how you can have a, a Christmas concert without handbells because it fits the vibe so well. <laughs> I think that that's going to stay. Everything, everybody should write in and say, we need handbells on Christmas festival. Yeah. Yes. All right. <laughs> uh, we'll start an email campaign right here today. Yeah. So Steve actually wrote four pieces then um, that we've played over the years. So we've been on four different times. Yes. Yeah. Every year we're advocating for that here on Musician Talk. And <laughs> All right, so we're coming to the end of our show, and I have everybody talk about best gig, worst gig, and mostly worst gig just to get some laughs and to laugh at our mistakes. You have a couple stories for us? Yeah, the most unusual or worst thing that's happened was, and I think it was at a St. Olaf concert, we were playing a song, we got towards the end of the piece, and the bass bells are quite large. They probably weigh around 10 to 12 pounds, the biggest bells. Wow. So one of my bass ringers was ringing, there's a screw that goes through the handle into the middle of the bell and the screw sheared off right between the handle mm. and the big part of the bell. So he rang it, he swung his hand forward and the big bronze part of the bell just went falling forward onto the floor towards me because I was conducting <laughs> and made a noise and the audience kind of gasped and <laughs> we were we were so the ringers gasped everybody was like oh my gosh and then nobody knew what to do I just kept conducting and that ringer walked around the table picked up the bell put it back on the table and then he malleted it for the rest of the piece <laughs> wow great yeah. save yeah best save ever that's that was, awesome that was impressive and we do have that on tape somewhere it's kind of fun to watch every once in a while one of the ringers who worked in recording at St. Olaf made a GIF of it. And so you can see it happening over and over. So somewhere in my <laughs> computer, I have a GIF of that. Yeah, that Lovely. was fun. Yeah. What's one of your favorite gigs that you've played? Uh, and not necessarily as handbell, but maybe as a, as a flutist. Yeah, Either way. I was, I was just listening to the Olympics and uh, they were interviewing Nathan Chen and he was talking about when you perform and sometimes you're, uh, you can almost get in another zone. So you're not even aware of what's going around you, yeah. you know, like you, you are, cause you're interacting with it, but it's just like this special place you get where you're not as aware of all the logistics to make sound happen or your fingers move. Yeah. And so I think one of my favorite um, experiences was an orchestra. Um, and I was playing a solo, I think it was on a Brahms piece or something. And um, for most of one movement, I just remember, like, I felt like I was floating above the orchestra. I was yeah. listening to everything around me. And I just thought I was playing and I thought, wow, that sounds gorgeous. Way to go. You know, it was just like really uninvolved in a way. It just came out so easily. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's what every really good musician really strives for is like to be in that zone. And it doesn't happen all the time and you're a good musician, so you can just function and produce beautiful music at your best. You're still pretty good. Um, but there are special times like that where you're just like, wow, this is what I live for. This is awesome. 
exactly. This is where I want to live. This is yes. where I want to live. And it's a, yeah. a flow thing and a zone thing. And wow, yes, that's the best feeling. It is. So great to leave on that wonderful, wonderful note. Uh, before we do, though, I want to tell me a little bit about the concert tomorrow um, at Ernest Recital Hall. This is Monday, February 28th at 8.15. That'll be tomorrow night. And any tour you have, and also if you're playing with the Mankato Symphony Orchestra coming up. Um, we have a spring concert happening, and uh, it is in April. It's on the 24th of April. It's a Sunday at 2 o'clock. Awesome. And one of the fun things about that is we have three handbell choirs at St. Olaf, and so you can hear all three handbell choirs on that concert. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. I encourage everybody to check that out. And for more information, they can just go to stolaf.edu. All right. Well, Jill, this is wonderful. What a great conversation. I'm so glad that I, I really, this is probably I've learned the most during this interview than any interview before. So thank <laughs> you. Thank you for the tutorial and your wonderful musical journey. Thank you for coming on the show and you're during this busy time of year for you. You're welcome. I hope uh, everybody who's listening will go to a concert sometime. I think when you hear a really good handbell choir, you will fall in love with it. It is visually so interesting to watch as well as listen to. They produce a lot of really fun, interesting sounds and beautiful music. So I wholeheartedly concur. It fascinates me. So thank you very much. And we will see you tomorrow night. I'm planning on going to the concert at Ernest Hall at 8.15 tomorrow. So thank you, Jill. All right. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Many, many thanks to Jill for joining me today, sharing her musical journey with us and teaching us all a bit about playing the handbell. And I'm so grateful to you for listening to Musician Talk on The One, KYMN. Have a terrific day.